Hey, beer nerds. Welcome to Building Breweries, a beer podcast that's all about the founders and owners of your favorite breweries. Michael asks questions about their story, their beers, and what makes them unique. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. Follow Building Breweries on Facebook and check out the blog at www.buildingbreweries.com. I'm at Gravely Brewing in Louisville, Kentucky. This is a music brewery. I'm joined by Nathaniel Gravely and Corey Buning, the head brewery and uh, the owner. Before we kind of get started on the brewery, can you just kind of uh, explain your all's uh, story and, and how you got involved here at the, uh, at, the at the brewery at Gravely? Uh, so we're a family-owned and operated brewery, so Corey is also part owner, as am I. I said owner, but we're both sure. owners. Uh, Corey, has a, he can speak to his own background, but a, a ridiculous pedigree in the brewing industry and field of science that comes with it. Um, the idea kind of birthed over a span of time where it started as a music venue concept and kind of grew and evolved to a beer bar music venue and then one step further into being a, a brewery and a music venue fusion, which we're calling the music brewery. Um, we came to know each other via our wives, who are sisters, and we both married each one of them respectively. So by virtue of that, we're a twisted version of brother-in-laws in that regard. Uh, and I had to convince Corey and Kelly uh, to move here from Jacksonville, Wyoming, where Corey was brewing at Snake River, and kind of pursue this whole concept. Uh, and as soon as it became a, a family-owned and operated kind of ordeal, it became a, you know an easier decision to make because when you're doing something with your family, you know there's just a lot of trust and kind of a higher degree of responsibility involved in making sure it's successful and commitment and stuff like that. So. You know, we looked at Louisville, and I'd always looked here as being the spot to kind of open the brewery. I just feel like Louisville as a city um, is a very forward and progressive city, but it's also small enough to where, like, doing business from a small business perspective is very easy to do. Um, On the flip side of that, like, opening in a larger city like a Chicago or a Los Angeles or New York would be great and very challenging, but, you know, I don't really see the future of the brewing industry or music venue industry, for that matter, being those mass markets that are already established, I see it more as kind of the the widespread sprawl into the mid-American city, and I think that's exactly what Louisville is. You know, I was, I was recently in Boulder, Colorado, and uh, I was speaking, uh, interviewing Avery uh, Brewing there, and uh, speaking with Dan Streavy, and um, he mentioned, "Hey, you're from Louisville. Have you have you spoken with Gravely yet?" And you know, in my mind, I was like, "Yeah, well, yeah, they're on my short list because they're right down the street from where I live, of course." And he was like, "Well, you should." Corey Buning there was uh, my mentor. Can you kind of go into your all's relationship there? Yeah, um, I was the head brewer at, at Snake River Brewing in Jackson, Wyoming, and uh, we were hiring an assistant brewer uh, probably early 2000s, and uh, we got an application from this kid out of Boulder. Um, he was a farm kid, <laughs> so I knew he was going to be a hard worker. And uh, we interviewed him and gave him the job, and he moved up from uh, Boulder, Colorado, to brew with us. And uh, he was applying for a bunch of jobs in, in Colorado, and no one would give him a shot. And uh, I saw potential there, and so it was pretty apparent early on that he was not going to be satisfied with uh, just being an assistant brewer. So he only stuck around for a couple of years before he uh, moved back to Boulder. Um, got a job at Avery, whose head brewer at the time also worked for 
uh, Snake River, who was my mentor, Steve Breezley, who's now at uh, Ska Brewing. So that's the twisted connection. Nice. Um, so you, you kind of got dragged to Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and Nathaniel, when you were opening up, did any of the local Louisville breweries or maybe the Kentucky breweries as a whole, um, you know, kind of reach out and, and help you along the way? Did you, did you get advice from anybody about how to open up a brewery here in Louisville? Uh, you totally, yeah. Um, I mean, as Corey's little uh, story there about the, I mean, it's a, it's a small industry, as big as and fast growing it is. I mean, it's very insular to some degree, and everybody's on the same team. You know, kind of a you like to say a rising tide floats all boats sort of sort of thing. But especially in Kentucky and in Louisville, it's not a you know hugely saturated market in terms of the brew scene, uh, like it would be out west, for example. Uh, and the Guild of Brewers and, you know, people like Adam Watson at Against the Grain uh, have been super helpful. And uh, Ian and Brian at Monic were also really helpful in getting us kind of going and just giving us advice and uh, really getting to know the intricacies of some of the archaic ABC laws that affect breweries that have changed for the better, uh, you know, pretty quickly. In fact, when we were developing, there was changes that were happening that had they still been in effect when we opened, we might not be in the position they're in right now just because they've been so good for the Brewers Association on the Kentucky side. So yeah, they've been really helpful and they've opened up their arms a lot uh, to us and we've tried to give back to them as much as we can. It's, just, it's a nice community. We all frequent each other's establishments and like to see what everybody else is doing and hopefully uh, we're helping raise the bar that is the, the Kentucky brew quality uh, as, we, as we continue to evolve. Nice, you're talking about some archaic uh, Kentucky laws and everything. Uh, you know, going back in, into a different time period, uh, there was a brewery called Phoenix Brewing Company, I believe, um, and I believe we're sitting on that on those same uh, brewery grounds. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Can you uh, kind of explain that process and how you picked out this location specifically? Um, I mean, I'm a history major in, in, in college, so I I am just history nerd in general, so I love that about it. But um, you know, we looked around town. We looked over on Frankfurt Avenue in a couple spots at one time. Uh, higher up in the highlands at one point and then we were really just looking for something that had the size that could hold the music venue element which needs square footage within itself plus the brewery side of it which is another demanding square footage thing and kind of give us room to grow too where we wouldn't have to you know get too big all of a sudden when we start too small and then if things went well and expand somewhere else we wanted to kind of keep as much as we could in one location uh, so we actually ended up looking at the building next door to where we are now, uh, which is the last freestanding structure of the Phoenix Brewery you're talking about. That's the original stable for the brewery. And it was like a, I don't know, four four block so uh, complex that had a hundred foot bar and like bowling alleys and ice skating rink, all this stuff in it. It was huge. Uh, and this building actually came on the market around the same time we looked at that one. And it's not nearly as you know historic or impressive as that because it's just a kind of an old warehouse really. But outside in the courtyard, we have the original caverns uh, that they used to lager their beer in back in the you know early eight or late 1800s and 1900s before prohibition. So it's cool to go out there and actually see those stone archways and know that we're kind of on hallowed ground to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a little overlook area for the for the tunnels. You can go out there and just kind of imagine what it would be like to you know lager beers in there. How far back did they go? Do you know? Uh, like what, what like what? I mean, what you can see. Are there? Yeah, so. Uh, the previous owner before this this building when you see it is built in kind of three sections you can tell tell distinctly the tap room has a way higher ceiling than like our lounge area which is low because it was added on later so those caverns actually used to come out into where the tap room is Hmm. uh, when it was built and they tried to bulldoze those caverns back so they could build the next building 
and they were so like like earth sunken and just strong that they had to dynamite through them actually and then move the rocks so they used to i was told as history has it this is all just kind of like a you know passed down via mouth sort of thing they used to run all through the hillside because this hillside where we are has been graded over the years all the way down to Beargrass Creek uh, on Lexington Road and went all the way back up to like Payne Street. So there's a doorway in the back of the caverns that's like full of dirt that everybody that knows anything about it wants us to open. But as the owners of the property, once you open that, you got to you gotta fix whatever's in there. So who knows if there's a bunch of trash or <laughs> dead bodies. Like I have no idea what could be in there. Jeez, all right. <laughs> um, uh, Corey, you could probably speak to this, but what, what beers are you all focusing on here? Uh, the last couple of weeks, I've really been focusing on the German lagers. Um, those are have been my favorite beer style for um, 25 years now. So it ebbs and flows, and just right now, I'm just really, I don't know, I'm just into it the last couple of weeks, so I'm brewing a lot of lagers. Um, other than that, uh, IPAs, obviously a hot beer style it has been and uh they're fun to brew so mostly uh german lagers and ipas uh can you kind of just describe both of you maybe what the um what the average louisville beer drinker is like that you've you know maybe noticed trends so far like what's uh what's a what's a hot style you mentioned an ipa is that typical of just a louisville beer drinker in general uh i've been pleasantly surprised with the louisville beer scene since we've opened um in my mind i thought it was going to be a lot more uh, darker, sweeter, maltier beers. And what I found is that it's incredibly diverse. Um, we have 14 beers on tap, and instead of having one or two beers that is uh, by far the best seller, it's been really evenly split um, day to day. One day it'll be a, a dark Munich lager, and the next day it'll be a Northeast IPA. And uh, it makes my job uh, a lot more fun because I enjoy brewing a bunch of different beers, and um, it's awesome. Every day is something new that is what the fans want. So, <laughs> and um, you know, what's uh, again? But both of you can speak to this. But thinking back, thinking back uh, before you opened the brewery, you know, what what was the hardest part about doing it, and that maybe surprised you that you didn't expect? <laughs> uh, well, it was hard to get Corey to move here for the longest time, <laughs> but. I mean, there's just so many, I actually think, I mean, being open is a challenge within itself, but you know, you can kind of handle that as you, the ebbs and flows of just running day to day operations. And if something goes wrong in the brew house, you can fix it as it's happening and you get to think on your feet. If somebody's having a bad experience out here, you can address it and kind of move on. But pre-development is just a whole different story. So I think that just even getting to the point where we could get ready to do construction and like secure all the you know conventional financing from Republic Bank who we worked with um, and just getting everything kind of lined up to where everybody goes okay good press go sort of thing there's just so much red tape and just ladder hoops and ladders or whatever you want to say to kind of hold you back that it, I mean for a project that was this big it wasn't just you know a home brewer wanting to go open up a tap room in like the local strip mall kind of thing which those places are great and awesome but they don't require nearly as much like capital and time and putting a lot of pieces together and moving parts uh, so there was just a lot of that to manage before we could even start like physical construction that I think was you know at some times you're just like man I hope this is, is this worth it like I want to make sure you know because you're just it gets it gets hard like you're really just kind of ramming your head into a wall on some different occasions but we kind of persevered and you know they they got here basically 
almost a full year before we opened, they lived here. And that was also, I think, somewhat of a blessing in disguise for, for both Holly, my wife, and Kelly, his wife, because we also got to get acclimated to like Louisville as the city too and get to know how it works and what people are drinking and kind of the atmosphere. I mean, you can read about it in a book and visit it as many times as you want, but until you live in it, it's a totally different story. So that was kind of a, a nice, I guess, bonus of being delayed with all that pre-development nonsense. Speaking of you, you kind of moving here and, and uh, getting acclimated to the area, um, I'd be remiss to mention the fact that um, maybe some HGTV uh, viewers uh, might might recognize your name and maybe your story uh, because you and your wife were featured on on House Hunters uh, as you were you know making the process to move uh, here to Louisville. What was that experience like for you? <laughs> this has nothing to do with the brewery. I just, um, <laughs> I mean, it was interesting, uh, to say the least. It was s- something that... I mean, did, did you did somebody, like, nominate you for that, or how, I, how, how did that I, come about? Another sister, not another sister-in-law, sister of, of uh, Holly's, little sister Shelby, loves that show and, like, thought that we would be a, a good thing on it, and she thinks that Louisville's a hot city, so she's like, you should apply. Like, as soon as you start to kind of narrow down in a house, is, she thinks is when the time you're supposed to be doing that sort of thing, so... We were narrowing down on a house, and she literally, I kid you not, filled out the entire application. Like I didn't, we didn't have anything to do with it. She just kind of asked us a few questions, and then submitted, and then the next thing, two weeks later, we ended up having an uh, email come through, and then a talk, and then a video thing, and then they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to come. So I was like, oh, wow, okay. And me, as the business owner and the guy who's getting ready to start this brewery with Corey, it's like, this could be good publicity from a national standpoint for the brewery, even though it's not something that you're just going to like, you know, they never mention the business or like anything like that, but people oh. will see it uh, and they'll be like, oh, what's that cool brewery and house hunters Google, <laughs> Google it or something. <laughs> a Google term for you right there. So yeah, it, it was, it was fun. Reality TV is um, not my cup of tea, but to be on the other side of it, instead of watching it like mindlessly on the couch when you're hungover or something, it was good. <laughs> when, when I was in middle school or maybe early high school, I had some friends whose mom was on wife swap. And oh, I remember gosh. that whole experience being very awkward for everybody. <laughs> uh, and they, they grew up on a llama farm. Yeah. And uh, she, the other person was from, like, New York City or something. So it was just one of those. See, uh, that show will be a little more revealing, I feel like, in terms of maybe, maybe, it. Maybe so. House Hunters is like meatloaf. You can't hate it. Everybody loves it. <laughs> True, yeah. It's just, it's just there, and, and you have to watch it. Um, so one thing I'm thinking about, as I'm thinking about a music brewery and all that entails, you know, you have your craft beer drinkers in Louisville. And then you also have your uh, music venue uh, attendees that they'll go to you know any show on a Friday or Saturday night and while I'm certain that there's you know some um, you know if you're looking at a Venn diagram there's some overlap of those two groups of people but I also have to imagine that it's kind of hard to please everybody so what was your thought process um, over the last few months of taking this um, this idea of a music brewery and making sure that it appeals to everybody uh I mean, on the Venn diagram aspect, there definitely is, I think, a natural overlap between beer and music. I mean, we're not, as I've, as I've kind of said, yes, we call ourselves the World's Worst Music Brewery, but we're not the first brewery that does music, live music, and we're not the first live music place that might brew their own beer. Um, but like, what we're trying to do is kind of take it a step further, uh, whether it's our bar back with the wall of sound, uh, every beer being inspired by a song lyric, a song title, or some kind of motif within the musical sphere of stuff, um, you know, the beer... The music inspires our beer, and if we do things right here, we're hopeful that the beer will then inspire music. Uh, but, you know, it is there are people that love shows that just don't go to breweries. I think uh, I would say 75% of those people are the same kind of audience mm-hmm. a lot of times. Um, 
it's really I mean you can hate beer because you don't like to drink beer you like drinking liquor or wine or whatever or nothing at all uh, but it's really hard to just hate music I feel like so there's a lot of just music fans in general are just they have that innate kind of DNA about them that they want to go see a show uh, so for us from Corey's product perspective the beer is the best when it's the freshest so that's why you don't see us with a giant candy line like we're not trying to go out into the marketplace and just flood everything with cans and bottles of beer uh, because we think here where we can control the product it's going to be the freshest tasting beer you can ever have on the flip side of that i look at music as kind of the product even though i don't create it but i have to like put on the event is as my side so you know we spent a lot of effort time and money on making sure that this venue area room was acoustically treated with the right equipment and the right sound panels so that the music product from both the artist and the fan perspective is top notch uh, so that that part of it too in live music is one of those things just like fresh beer that you can't like replicate you can record it you can listen to a bootleg you can watch it on tv but there's nothing like standing in the audience and being at a live show uh, and as much as the music industry changes to like streaming stuff and downloading stuff touring is still the backbone of music like bands make 80 percent of their money touring if not more uh, so I just feel like that overlap that is between beer and music is natural, but if we can take it further where it's artist collaborations with brewing beer or doing like special release stuff that ties music deeper into the beer and beer deeper into music, it won't just be, hey, we're a place that has live shows of beer. Like, and, and I'm tired of the whole, let's go to a show and do the 16-ounce arm curl. Right. You know, and let's think, no, I'm actually drinking a beer that the artist on stage helped Corey brew. Like, and that has a, a deeper meaning both to the person drinking it and to the artist on stage. It's another way for them to kind of creatively express themselves. You know, I'm, I'm, as you're saying that, I'm envisioning like a, a clutch show going on at New Belgium or something in Colorado <laughs> because I know they had a, some kind of collaboration of sorts. And then, uh, you know, few, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning all these different uh, collaborations in my head of uh, something like that going on. So has any, uh, any local bands reached out or, or have you all tried to do uh, anything yet? Yeah. So, I mean, totally, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of, a lot of bands have reached out, not just local, but regional and even across the country that have gotten wind of, of what we're doing, which is exciting. Uh, we, we opted to kind of, or maybe I opted to do music in 2018 was kind of the focus. Um, we opened in August of 2017. So we just kind of needed a few months to really get our staffing right to figure out the inner workings of how we're running on a day-to-day uh, to build our whole inventory of beer up which is obviously full throttle right now with 14 taps uh, so now that we kind of let the dust settle a little bit I've switched gears really as of like the last week or so to kind of focus more onto the music booking side of stuff and talent buying so we'll kick off uh, our live our live sound will start New Year's Eve uh, which we haven't publicly announced yet actually we'll call it Brew Year's Eve um, it'll be featuring a couple of local acts because uh, that's really what we're all about at the end of the day. But then we'll kind of transition more into some bigger uh, regional stuff and more consistent concert series through the first half of 2018 all the way through. You know, you just answered part of my, my, my last question. You already answered half of it, I feel like. Uh, I was going to ask, you know, what I always like to ask what's in store for 2018, especially now at the end of the year. So you're going to focus on a lot of the music then. And sour beer. And, and sours, yeah. <laughs> Want to talk about that, Corey? Uh, yeah. We have a bottling line ordered, so I'm going to do some large format bottles, um, just mostly at sale here at the brewery. Um, and originally the plan was to have a bunch of fermenters behind the stage because Nathaniel wanted to make sure when a, a live act was going on that it was distinctly gravely and memorable. And due to some restrictions on design and whatnot, it became not really feasible to put the fermenters behind stage, so we decided we would put... Um, some barrels behind stage to mm-hmm. give us the, the visual 
that we were looking for. And I'm not a huge fan of the bourbon barrel beer craze. Um, Sacrilege in this in this. City. I know, I know. A lot that? of breweries do it really well. I mean, we and, love bourbon, but bourbon is for drinking bourbon. Beer is for drinking. But you just don't mix. Oh them yeah, together. don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love myself bourbon. Maybe a little too much, but uh, <laughs> to me, I don't mix it with beer so much. But uh, so we decided that we were going to do the barrels behind stage, and then I've I've done a lot of sour beers before. Um, the barrel aged sour beers, not just the quick sours and so we right now we have 24 barrels behind the stage aging um various sour beers and they'll probably start to come out maybe at the end of 2018 but um 2019 for sure guys thank you so much about another half of this double ipa called the super group to finish up um <laughs> so thank you very much for your time and, and having me in today thanks for having us yeah thanks for stopping by anytime Do you want your brewery featured? Email michael at buildingbreweries.com.